Chapter 24. Boarding Party We dropped from 15,000 feet at over 120 miles per hour toward the black ocean. Within five seconds of leaving the side door of the helicopter, we linked up face-to-face, hand-to-hand. I checked our position to see that we were in perfect placement. We had nearly a full minute before needing to separate and make final adjustments. After that, we only had seconds to get our position and pull our ripcords. We smiled at each other briefly. Pudu pulled in and gave me a sloppy, 120-mile-an-hour, wind-blown kiss. I enjoyed it. If we could have had another 10 minutes in the air, I was sure Pudu would have tried to take advantage of me. Join the Mile High Club the hard way. I certainly would have let her. I had to refocus. Many lives depended on what we did next, and making love thousands of feet in the air had nothing to do with it. When the altimeter on my right wrist read 2,000 feet, I gave Pudu the nod and we broke away. We guided our bodies like missiles toward the Mazu's stern. The moonlight helped, and so did some surprising flashes aboard the ship. But these weren't the explosive charges we'd been expecting to be used for breaching the ship's hulls. These flashes were from small arms fire. Legba's security detail was murdering the crew. After all, he didn't need them anymore, and if captured, they'd be a huge liability for him. Good, I thought. Less of the bastards for us to deal with. They were all knowingly part of a child kidnapping and sex slavery scheme anyway. I felt no empathy for any of them. I counted as many as a dozen crew members gunned down by perhaps 18 security personnel. They'd be setting the charges next, and then getting away in the gravity drop lifeboat in the back of the ship. But these rats would have to go through me first to leave this sinking ship. As my altimeter passed under 400 feet, I signaled Pudu to deploy her chute. We pulled our ripcords simultaneously, and both rectangular canopies opened superbly. But I hadn't thought to specify gray night camo chutes when I asked Pudu to request them. The bright white parachutes that we got seemed to explode in the bright moonlight, showing up in the night sky as obvious as skid marks on white undies. Damn it. We were lucky so far. No one seemed to have noticed us. The closest of Legba's security team stood leaning over the rail on the aft side of the superstructure. He stood just below the bridge, but nearly a hundred feet above the water, in exactly the spot we were headed. He was looking down, while using a rope to lower a cake pan-sized object to a skin diver in the water. Obviously, the guy in the wetsuit was setting explosive charges just below the waterline of the Mazu's hull. I briefly wondered why they hadn't placed charges inside the hull early on, but realized it was probably because the crew had no idea of this contingency plan, and such a move would have made them somewhat hard to manage, realizing they would soon become unnecessary ballasts. The man at the railing held a large duffel bag that seemed nearly empty. They'd probably been around the ship already and were finishing up on the stern. The gunfire on the other side of the ship's high superstructure had quieted, and without the Mazu's engines running and being dead in the water, I could clearly hear the crewman's voice in the still night. Come on, man. This is the last one, he said, banging on the railing with another charge, anxious to drop it to his partner. Vera said he was going to set off the charges in ten minutes, whether they're done or not. You don't mess around. You got less than two minutes. The guy in the water grabbed a rope ladder next to him and began to climb up. He's screwing you. He's not going to set off the charges until we're the hell out of here in the lifeboat, dumbass. But just drop that one in the water anyway. Hell, I said eight charges. That's more than enough. When the dummy with the explosives in his hand looked up, he saw the white canopies in the bright moonlight. Seeming momentarily perplexed by the sight, he squinted, not knowing what to make of it. Then his eyes grew wide when he saw what was swooping in below the canopies. I imagined my eyes just as big staring back. We were headed straight for him, way too fast. 
To be prepared, I pulled the safety clip from my harness's single-point quick-release button and then brought up the M5 silenced assault rifle in order to send my adversary to the great beyond. Shit! They're here! He shouted, but those were his last words. Now only 15 feet out, I put three silenced rounds in his head and neck, careful to aim away from the explosive charge he seemed to be cradling protectively in his arms. As my target fell back, his deadly article with him, I heard three more soft pops coming from just above me, and then a splash below. I was confident Pudu had just dealt adequately with the man on the water. Without time to prepare, I hit the railing. I held on to the rail as my canopy began to collapse behind me. Pudu followed two seconds later, landing perfectly over the rail, her chute abandoned as she lit. Textbook, but not so much for me. I struggled awkwardly, hanging from the rail by one hand, the other arm tangled up in the riser and shroud lines, fighting my errant parachute as it caught the ten-knot wind and reinflated. 